On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour for the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it would be helpful if you could bring out a device or a Bible to follow along uh, with the the reading we have from uh, Luke chapter 10 uh, for this week. Uh, as we get into looking at uh, Jesus' teaching in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is featured on one of our windows over here, and you may like to look at it later on after the service this morning. It's an important passage because it's a passage that has changed nations because it is the most unavoidable and personally challenging way uh, that Jesus taught about our responsibility for each other in God's sight. And it's basically what's happened throughout history is as, as tribes and kingdoms and nations of the past have understood the power of biblical social ethics that really Jesus summarizes in this simple story, uh, that they let go of the cruel practices of paganism. So in the history of our own culture, it's been Christians who've been arguing for better treatment of slaves, of children, of women, of workers. It's Christians who, who, who work for the emancipation of, of slaves. I was reading a few months ago how the, the financial cost to the United Kingdom of the 1833 Emancipation from Slavery Act was huge. In fact, it was, it, it only, they only finished paying off the cost of that in 2015, so just a few years ago. And it was Christians who argued 
for that, who fought for that. It was Christians throughout history who built hospitals and orphanages and schools and homes for the poor, um, who worked for rep- more better representation in political systems, who, who bought in trade unions and industries and worked for financial systems and welfare systems as well. But today, of course, the Christian ethic is out of favor. I mean, not, not too long ago, you would meet people who would say things like this. Well, I'm, I'm not convinced by Christian belief, uh, but I do believe strongly in Christian ethics. So I may be an atheist, but I want to send my children to uh, one of the private church schools so that they, they can grow in, in the values of Christianity because I, I think those values are good. Now, unfortunately, the children they've been sending to those schools won't say that because what people are saying now is, no, we need a new ethic. Uh, So we have woke words and woke restrictions and woke condemnations. Everybody is now suspect. So that's the context we have. I think as we come back to this teaching of this well-known passages. And there's these three themes that I think emerge from uh, this parable that Jesus gives the lawyer. The ancient word is relevant, first up. The word produces people that matter. And finally, those with needs are actually us. The word is relevant. The word produces people that matter. Those with needs Uh, us. Let's get into that. The ancient word is relevant. (laughs) Our culture has an offhand way of arguing against the Bible, and I run into this in movies and telly shows and and that sort of thing, but they'll do something like they'll they'll take a quote out of the Old Testament, uh, and then, then they'll take it out of context. And they say, well, how can you possibly believe that? Or how can you possibly live by that standard? An example, a classic example is Numbers 15, where there's a command uh, where, that a man should be sentenced to death for gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And people say, well, you know, how can you possibly believe in a God that commands that? But, but what they've done there is that they've taken that out of context in Numbers And they haven't gone on to see what actually does happen to the commands around the death penalty or the Sabbath and how those things are fulfilled in in, in the rest of the Bible. They say the Bible can't be believed because they pull something like that out of context. And that's exactly the debate that the lawyer brings to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? In order to justify himself for not loving his neighbor as himself, he asks, does the ancient word still have contemporary relevance? Basically, how can Leviticus still apply to my life today, is what he's saying here. uh, The the NIV translations that we have are not that helpful because they they say in verse 25, on another occasion, an expert in the law, but, but in the original, it's just simply, and next, it's not another occasion at all. That there's, just, there's somebody already there. And what, what's, what, what the lawyer interrupts with his question is that the disciples of Jesus are rejoicing over the success of the mission. They've just sent 72 followers of Jesus out into the villages and towns 
And uh, they've been telling people about the kingdom of God and doing incredible things and people's lives have been changed. And so it's in that context, it's in the context of a really successful mission that this lawyer who's obviously looking on and listening to this says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what are the latest thoughts on this important matter? What scholarly school do you stand in? From whence does come salvation? How do I get into heaven? And Jesus' response, it's really embarrassing. All the way through, all the way through this story, he does this. He sends him back to Sunday school. That's exactly what he does. He says, what does God's word say? How do you interpret it? Here they are, Jesus saying, how do you interpret the word of God. And the lawyer gives a classic Hebrew summary, uh, quotes the Shema from uh, Deuteronomy 6. You love the Lord your God, the Lord your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then from Leviticus 19, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And there's the two tablets of the law in classic Hebrew thinking. There, 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 there's the two lots of the Ten Commandments. The, the, the first tablet being about loving God, the second tablet of the law being about Love for your neighbor, because Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets. And Jesus turns to him and says, yep, do that and you will live. He knows he's Sunday school. He's been well taught. (laughs) He knows what's going on. So Jesus says to him, that's right, do that, you will live. But the lawyer seeking to justify himself wants to put rational limits on love. So he asks, who is my neighbor. And on the surface, it is not an unreasonable question. We think about it. How can that ancient word that was given to Moses so long ago still be relevant to me today? Because it says in Leviticus 19, I should love my neighbor as myself. But that was written as the tribes of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And and neighbor at that time was another Israelite or at most other tribes that traveled with them, people that would settle with them in the promised land. But Jesus, look at us today. Look where we are now. But Israel is no more. The ten northern tribes have been taken off into exile. They've been replaced by this mongrel people, the Samaritans, whose religion is a mix-up of God's word and pagan ideas. And there is no kingdom. The kingdom of David is gone. Judea is under Roman occupation. All the towns and villages of Galilee and Judea, which your disciples have just been visiting, are separated by ethnic and cultural and language barriers. There's Roman towns, there's Greek towns, there's, there's Hebrew towns. So, Jesus, you cannot just say what I learned in Sunday school. Just do what Moses wrote. Times have changed. Things have moved on. You cannot say that a Roman occupier, a pagan Greek, who live unclean lives, who have unclean religion, the criminal classes are worthy of being shown the kind of love that Moses' law requires. Put that another way. They are not my equals I am better than that because the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now for a lawyer in the Middle East at this time, uh, what Jesus is suggesting is actually verging on immoral, almost valueless. What do you, what do you mean? I, I've got to love this worthless person as, as much as myself, you see, that that. 
That, that seemed, that for, for a Middle Eastern person today, that just sounds like weakness and stupidity and unrealistic. I, mean, I guess the way we put it is it sounds like a leftist hand-wringing, bleeding-heart nonsense that has no appreciation of how the real world actually works. Can't afford to lose our advantages to the undeserving? Goodness. Uh, so Jesus tells the story. And he unpacks the meaning of the ancient word of Leviticus to show how it's still relevant. Now, you remember that Leviticus is a book that's full of sacrifices. Many of them we know as Christians have been fulfilled by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus himself. But there is a requirement of sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we still owe. And that's the sacrifice of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So that's my first point. The ancient word is relevant. The second point is that this word produces people that matter. Now, in our culture, the people of God gathered what we call the church is seen as being useful if we're doing good deeds, basically if we're doing welfare. But the worship of the church and increasingly the ethical teaching of the church is maybe something that the culture can live without. But what's interesting in this story is you cannot have one without the other. Because this story that Jesus tells comes in the wake of a major missionary effort with the 72 people going out to all the towns and villages to heal, to cast out, and to speak of the kingdom of God coming in Jesus Christ. And the reason there's so much rejoicing is because lives have been changed. People have been changed. The word of God has produced a change in people. And those people matter because those people will live out their relationship with God, with others, you see. That, that's what will happen. The experience of the mercy of God in their lives will be shown in how they treat others with mercy. And that's why we get the characters we get in Jesus' story. Think about it. A man walking down a road that, quite frankly, was known for trouble. It was famous for it. We don't know. He just says he's a man. Is he Hebrew? Is he a Roman? Is he, is he from some other tribe? We don't know if he's deserving of respect or if he's deserving of punishment. We don't know anything about him except that he's a man. He's a human being. And the robbers beat him up and leave him half dead on the side of the road. And, and the priest and the Levite, they know the words of God. They've been taken into their position as a matter of birthright. They're coming down the road, which means they're coming from Jerusalem. They've probably just been doing things in the temple, in the temple cult. They know the word of God, but the word of God has not changed. Jesus doesn't tell us what their motives are. He just tells us what their actions are. <laughs> it's very Jesus who judged by what you see done. <laughs> they were leaving Jerusalem. They probably finished the roster at church. And even though they represent Hebrew law, they don't represent the compassion that the law requires. Um, and they walk by on the other side. And then you get the Samaritan, the half-breed. Now, he knows something of the word of God. It's part of his culture. And it has shaped him. And we're told what his motive is. He's moved with compassion. Or in the NIV it says, he took pity. 
It's a very, it's a word that's hard to explain, but it, it means literally moved in your, in your bowels. That's what it means. It means you, you are deeply disturbed by what you've seen. And then he stops, and his sacrifice of love is actually quite considerable. One, he stops to help, and it's obviously a very dangerous place to be stopping to help anyone. There's there's robbers and uh, violent people around. He uses his own bandages, his own oil, his own wine and time and money. And there's no mention of repayment anywhere in this. It takes him to an inn on his own donkey, and inns in that time were not famous for being safe places either. He goes into an open contract with the innkeeper, which could obviously be potential there for abuse. You know, here's the two denarii. If you spend anything more than that, I'll reimburse you when I come back. Denarii was about a day's wage for a labourer. But the point is, he's giving up something of his life for this stranger, this man on the side of the road. So Jesus turns the the lawyer's question around. It's no longer, and who is my neighbor? Jesus just puts it back to the man and says, which of these three was a neighbor? Isn't that interesting? He's taking it out of the realm of theory and definition and says, actually, you already know the answer. Which of these three was a neighbor? And the lawyer gives this brilliant answer because he encapsulates the biblical theme perfectly when he says, the one who showed him mercy. Sunday school, go thou and do likewise, says Jesus. You already knew this stuff. Go and do it. A friend of mine was telling me about a um, PhD candidate that he was supervising uh, who was doing uh, research on churches in India. And, and one of the interesting things that, that came out of that research uh, was that the churches who took Bible and mission more seriously turned out to be doing more welfare projects than the more liberal churches, the churches that didn't take the Bible or mission as seriously. Which was interesting because, of course, if you, if you know anything about liberal Christianity, in many ways it makes social justice and welfare a substitute for gospel mission. But the irony of uh, this person's research was actually it was the, the more conservative, orthodox, biblically literate churches that were doing more social justice and more welfare. Because the truth is, it's people who've been changed by the power of the word of God are the ones who are more likely to be moved by compassion, more likely to sacrifice for the sake of others because they've experienced the love of God themselves and therefore they show compassion to others. So that's the end of my second point. The word produces people that matter. And my final point is this. Those with needs are us. That is, biblical ethics is more important than we think We know the biblical theme that all human beings are made in the image of God, don't we? We know that. But we underestimate how powerful that idea is, uh, that there are not classes of better or lesser humanity. We are all in this together. Um, that's, That's why Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, says to ignore the needy is to turn your back on your own flesh. 
It's why the prophet Amos, in chapters 1 and 2 of his prophecy, actually holds all the non-Jewish nations around Israel to account for their cruelty and indulgence, their mistreatment of the poor and the weak, because in doing that, you know you're turning your back on yourselves. You're turning your back on your own flesh. Even the pagans should have known better. To mistreat the least was to harm all. And we know the biblical truth, don't we, that the way we treat other human beings who are made in the image of God is a sign of what we really think about God. Proverbs 17.5, whoever mocks the poor insults that their maker. So the measure of a culture and the measure of human being in Jesus' story is how well we care for those who have needs uh, because it is God's image we're serving because it's ourselves we are serving with that care. Because the half-dead man on the side of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho could have been the Levite, could have been the priest, could have been the Samaritan because they were all on that road. It could have been any one of them. And COVID-19 doesn't respect our borders, does it? Or our, our, our relative wealth or our social status. We're all on that road together. Economic collapse or war or degrading of the planet. The truth is we're all on that road together as well. The guy on the side of the road could one day be us. Maybe it has been us. And here is what the biblical teaching about the sacrifice of love means, that we're changed by the sacrificial love of God, so we enter into sacrificial love for our neighbors. Isn't it funny? This this is about Leviticus. (laughs) A book of sacrifices teaching us about the sacrifice of love. It's full of animal sacrifices for forgiveness, for cleanliness, uh, for completeness before God. And we know as Christians they have all been fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. The Bible teaches us we don't have to do that anymore. The Bible goes on to give us an authoritative word on how to spend our Sabbaths now. But the Bible also teaches us that as we take up a relationship with God that Jesus' sacrifice makes possible, that that same sacrificial love moves into us, motivates us, the Holy Spirit of God surprises us, does surprise us with the cost we're prepared to pay to care for others, whether they're lovely or not, whether they're our enemies or not, whether they're lost or not. And my goodness, doesn't the world need that right now? We live at a time when nations have forgotten their Christian past and think they can do better than biblical ethics and we're we're watching places like Europe trying to limit vaccine supplies or limit the distribution of wealth, even though they're told by our medical people that will work against the global recovery from pandemic. How relevant is this simple parable How true is the ancient word of God? How needed are people who have been formed by this word? And you may be thinking, oh, for goodness sake, Mike, 
It's just a simple parable. All this highfalutin talk about culture and biblical interpretation and ethics, you're just making Jesus' story far too complex. So let me give you the T-shirt. Those in need are us. God did not walk past us on the other side of the road when we had a need. God and Jesus Christ made the final sacrifice for us. God's shown us mercy. So go do likewise.